You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matias Wadner and Will Lomas. Matias, welcome back. How was Peru? It was great. Uh, I was actually able to see some of the Titans game, uh, the Colts game, obviously, but um, uh, but it was fun. It was definitely a good time, and the Titans were able to get an overtime win uh, while I was over there, uh, which was way better than the last time I had gone to to Peru in 2019. That was the Panthers game where we Ooh. got absolutely smoked. So, yeah, definitely that, a better trip all around this that, time around. That was the game that Derrick Henry had, like, two or three touches in the first half, and Vrabel got asked after. He's like, you know, we thought this was a Dion Lewis game. It's like, oh, buddy. Yeah. What? They were, they, Thankful poor, I bless, missed that one. <laughs> bless his heart. They were still learning. Uh, this week's Titans game was nothing like that. The Titans outplayed and outcoached the Rams from start to finish in a two-score victory that, I mean, really it wasn't because it was just a three-score game at halftime, but it, it felt effectively over when Tannehill – ran the boot on the goal line and scored like when it was 21 to three with the way the Rams have been playing and, and specifically the way the Titans defense have been playing. It, it felt like that was sort of a, a the gut punch very early on. Um, let, let's start with this guys. Uh, you know, overall takeaways from this game. Who is this Titans team? Now it was game one without Derrick Henry. And what I'm really curious to get your thoughts on, in addition to, to sort of a broader conversation about the game, is, is there a letdown coming? Because what the Titans have done lately has been phenomenal. Four straight wins against four straight really good teams and five straight wins overall, if you add the Jacksonville Jaguars to that, who beat the Bills, so, you know, whatever you want to make of that. But is there a letdown coming? Is there going to be another Jets game? Is you know obviously they're not going to win out you know they're not going to end the season at fifteen and two, 
But is there going to be another game where the Titans come out and we look at them and we're like, what the F was that? Maybe. Uh, I can't say for sure just because they've been playing so well uh, recently and they've done this against some really good teams. I know obviously they are prone to uh, kind of choking against lesser competition uh, and that's pretty much what's left on the schedule. There really aren't that many good teams left. I would say maybe the Saints... Patriots and Steelers are the best ones, but even they, like, one of them is quarterbacked by Trevor Simeon, one of them is quarterbacked by Ricky Mac Jones, and the other one is quarterbacked by a washed Ben Roethlisberger. So, I mean, they are games that the Titans should win, but, of course, we've seen them, like, in the Jets game, obviously, uh, earlier this year, where the Titans just lay an egg, but I don't know. I feel like they're they're just too confident in themselves um to, to to you know hiccup but i mean we can't really give them the benefit of the doubt yet and i do think at some point it feels like the injuries have to like start playing a part at some point because they have literally been the most injured team uh in the nfl and the fact that they've been able to go 4-0 in the stretch given all those injuries is crazy but it seems like at some point at least in one game you know they they will start to take effect yeah, like we've always said, it's not the the last four opponents we should have expected the Titans to beat. Like, not from a rational standpoint, but just from a standpoint of what we've always said, which is the Titans beat the tough teams and they lose to the easy teams. I don't like, know about the Colts. I mean, I didn't think they'd beat the Colts. I thought they uh, had less of a shot to beat the Colts than they did to beat the Rams. Oh, I did not. But that, but you know. I, I don't know. I think if Derrick Henry doesn't break his foot, I think they beat the Colts by, you know, 14. Like, I mean, I think they kill them, but I just don't think the Colts are very good. I think they, that we're not talking about the Colts. I don't know why we're getting off topic, but um, yeah, like I, I, I don't expect to beat these teams necessarily because they're tough teams and you shouldn't expect to beat great teams just because they're great. But it is the games that, or they are the games that Vrabel seems to be able to coach well and really get the guys to buy all in on. So, you know, it's it's the schedule going forward that scares me. Like the Mike Clay releasing that the Titans have the weakest schedule going forward, like that that's particularly scary when, you know, you're at seven and two and you've got the number one seed in the AFC right now and I mean, theoretically, nobody should have an easier chance at the number one seed than you do on you know, on either side of the conferences. So uh, I, will they let you down? Absolutely. Because at this point there shouldn't be a game left on the schedule that you think they're, that you would be okay with them losing. I guess that's the best way to say it. Well, so I want to have the, we'll, we'll have the number one seed conversation later, but, and I want to avoid coming off as very negative because this was a huge win for the Titans. And, and I realized that, you know, topic number one, is there a letdown coming? Like, that sounds a little negative. I, I don't know about you guys. It's just that Jets game, man. It lingers. And, it, and it's not just the Jets game. It's like Vrabel's Titans have had a propensity over the years to do things like that. To, uh, you know, not rise to the occasion against lesser teams and to get so confident and so hyped up and and have the fans just fired up and pull in and then just absolute 
debacle happens. And, like, I am willing to, like, I'm close to saying maybe Vrabel and the Titans have detoxed from their adversity addiction. And and maybe those days are gone. But I'm just not quite there yet. And I and I think a fair counter to that is, well, what what more do you want to see? But Matthias, you said the same thing that I'm kind of getting at here. That well, they don't always play great against the lesser teams. They tend to not show up in those games. And again, I'm not asking them to end the season 15 and two. I'm asking them to not have a game where they come out and look lost and sleepwalk for an entire game. You know? Yeah, but I mean, it happens to every team. I think uh, so. I, I don't know, like, we saw this week the Bills, they literally lost to the Jaguars. Like, the Bills should never lose to this Jaguars team, at least not this Bills team, uh, and it happened. It was a 9-6 game, it was disgusting, uh, and they just couldn't pull it off, and it's not something that, that anyone saw coming. I would say it's just as bad as the Titans losing to the Jets, so even, like, the best teams in the NFL, they will have these types of games throughout a season, uh, unfortunately, the times this has happened to them multiple times over the past couple of years, so we kind of can't give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, so I can't say for sure that it's not going to happen. Like I- I'm assuming one of these games, like it probably will, even though the their better team, they're a better team uh, than pretty much all of the ones coming up. But it's the NFL. You could sleepwalk through a game. It could happen any week. Uh, you could get out coached. You could get out played. The injuries could start to mount up. Anything is possible. And like you said, like I, I'm not expecting them to go 15 and two. I think they will, uh, you know, get a bump in the road in, in a couple of these matchups. But I do think they've put themselves on on a really good path to, for sure, win the division and, and then maybe get one of the top two seeds in the AFC. So. Let's shift the conversation because I think you make a great point, Matthias, that every team has their off games. And again, we'll talk number one seed and, and, and the prospects of that soon. Do you think that it is not mutually exclusive, that, that both of the following things can happen? The Titans have a game or two over the rest of the season where they flop, and it's bad, and it looks like the Jets, although none of the teams they play for the rest of the season are that bad. Uh, And at the same time, we should see them as Super Bowl contenders. Because honestly, just listening to you talk, Dermatius, sort of convinced me that those are two separate conversations. Yeah. I mean, regular season games... Do, do not equate to playoff games. It's just a totally different animal. Um, and especially later in the season, once you kind of already know the seed you're going to get or, or maybe that you're already going to win the division, um, those games even tend to hold less weight or you just don't look at them in the same light as a game maybe earlier in the season. So I don't I don't think it matters. Like I think the Titans have done enough to position themselves as a Super Bowl contender whether they, assuming everyone is healthy in the playoffs, um, even if they, you know, stumble in some of these games, because we've already seen them beat the best of the best 
And those teams are the ones that are going to be playing in the playoffs. Yeah, like that. that's why, you know, again, I'm not jumping ahead, but that's why the one seed typically goes to the Super Bowl on each side, like at least one of them does, because once you get to the playoffs, I mean, you don't look at the regular season anymore. It's truly just who coaches the better game and who has the most talent in that particular game and who wins those matchups, because it doesn't really matter about who the better team is. It's just who has the advantageous situation. So you want to play as few of those games as you possibly can. Let's have the number one seed conversation. Let's go game by game on this schedule and just do this, you know, the old fashioned circle the game schedule. Uh, let's start at the very end and we'll, we'll, we'll make our way to Saints. Titans, Texans, week 18, excuse me, week 18 in Houston. That's a dub, right? Yes, unless Deshaun Watson comes back miraculously. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, it, the, the, I would say, like, I guess it depends on the rest of the games, because if they yeah. need it to win, then yes. Because the, the Texans are basically, like, already out of it 100% you know, anyway, like, mathematically. I, I'm realizing this is a silly exercise. Let's just look at the schedule and say, who do we <laughs> think? Who do we think that they could theoretically lose to? I could see them losing to 49ers on a short week, albeit at home, um, because the 49ers, though they're not great, are not bad. I could Disagree. see them losing. I could see them they, losing. They just got stomped out by Colt McCoy, but okay, that's fine. The Cardinals are 7-1 and one heading into that Colt game. Colt McCoy is not Kyler Murray, but that's fine. Okay. <laughs> Titans at Patriots. I could see them losing that game. Will yeah. absolutely cannot see them losing that one because we've talked about this off air. Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't think they're going to get – like I think the Patriots sneak up on some teams. I don't think – I, I think Vrabel would rather put 100 points on Bill Belichick than let him catch up on him well, and well, get Will, the it's last not, laugh. It's not about wanting to. <laughs> like that. It does seem like that with Mike Vrabel, where he hasn't really been motivated to coach against bad teams in his history, and he's motivated to prove everybody wrong the other times. But I, I think I also think the Titans are a better team than the Patriots, don't you? I do, but I feel like Belichick will probably Belichick. have some things up like, his sleeve. Yeah, their defense well, what's Belichick's plays record against. Well. They're four and uh, one Mike in their Vrabel. last five games, right? What's his record against Mike Vrabel? The Titans are five and zero in their last four games, whatever, or five games. Like my thing is like the whole it's Bill Belichick thing doesn't work when it's Mike Vrabel because Mike Vrabel's like three and zero against two and uh, the Patriots. Look, we're not saying it's going to happen. We're saying it's possible that the Patriots will beat the Titans. Yeah, Whereas, okay. Like, yeah, I don't think it's I'll possible. Jacksonville is not coming here and beating the Titans. That's not sure. happening. That game's no. going to be a blowout. Um, sure. I could see them lose. Honestly, I could see them losing to Houston once. There's no way. There's Man, no way. That was a bad game they had against the Dolphins. Did wasn't it they the most turnovers? Yeah. Well, I mean, what do we, I could see them losing to the Steelers on the road. Yes, correct. Even though yeah, the Steelers that was, that is, are not very is, good, but at Pittsburgh. With their defense, yeah, that that could be a really tough game. Look, I yeah. mean, th th this is 
I think this is becoming a silly conversation. It's one that I started, so I apologize. But, <laughs> you know, the, uh, uh, the Power Index says that the Titans have played the hardest schedule so far this year, have the easiest one left. So I, I guess the question is, what do we think their record's going to be? They're not going 15-2. Yeah. and two. There's an L in here somewhere. But but how many L's? I think that's a, that's the question. Could you see them going see fourteen and four? Or no, that's too many games. Fourteen and three. Thirteen. Or thirteen I'm and three. Thirteen and four. Thirteen, 13 and four. I 13, think they lose two games. Thirteen is you have to win six games left. You get the Texans. You get Jacksonville. You get Miami and Houston. That's four automatically. So you have to assume eleven is locked in. Then you've got, what, four other games besides that, and you split those, and you get six. Like, 13 feels like a pretty safe bottom. Yeah. yeah. At, the, at, the same so we, time, at the same time, though, we do need to talk about, it, it's not just about who's easy on the schedule. It's also about, is, is the way that the Titans win without Henry, is that sustainable? And here's what I mean by that. Well, this is a good transition into talking about the Rams game. The Titans beat the Rams with defense. The offense was not good. Uh, the running game in particular was very ineffective. Uh, Tannehill did not look good. But they did get to the red zone. They converted their red zone opportunities. But they won this game with defense. David Long set him up on the two-yard line where Tannehill had a lollipop touchdown to Jeff Swain. Kevin Byard had a pick six. And then the entire rest of the game, the Rams did virtually nothing until you know, garbage time because Simmons and Autry and Landry were so fierce. Is that sustainable? It, I don't know that without some offensive life, the Titans are going to keep winning games. So is that sustainable? And if not... Can this offense grow and rebound from what was a bit of a stinker? Yeah, the, the offense was not good, um, and, and it's definitely a bit of a cost for concern. I, I will say that the Rams have a very good defense, one of the best in the league, actually, um, and it was always going to be a tough matchup. But, yeah, it did seem like they were going through a good amount of growing pains uh, without Derrick Henry, but even if the offense doesn't really rebound um, to how they've played without Henry, maybe last year, like at the Saints game, I just, I just don't see these teams coming up with, they don't have high powered offenses. So even if the defense doesn't play as well as they did against the Rams and against the chiefs, I still think it'll be enough to carry a mediocre to slightly above average offense that the Titans could have without Derrick Henry. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard because I know we don't like to talk about offensive line stuff and uh, all that, but when you don't have Taylor Lewan, you're basically in your fourth string left tackle and you're on your second string right guard, which I like Brewer, but when you have to face that defense with those pieces missing, it's and also without Derrick Henry, that's a difficult way to start, especially on the road, too. So, I don't know. Like, are they, are they ever going to get back to what they were with Derrick Henry? I don't know. Like, I don't know if they can replicate 30 points a game. But 
can they get to 26 or 27 points by not facing those guys? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem impossible to me that they could get better than what... I mean, that has to be the absolute bottom, I would assume. What, what's what got to change with the run game? Because... They need to Bobby Hart to go out. Yeah, well, yeah. But I, I mean... mean like, tru- like, truly, like, you can't, like... It's not. It's not like huh, he sucks. It's like it is impossible <laughs> to run. I mean, they put Aaron Donald on Bobby Hart. You know, yeah. Like you can't run to the left side now. So, so now you can just cheat over to the right side, and you know, then everything is a mismatch. Yeah. If so, Luan comes back, like I think they'll be first of all much better than than this last yeah. game. Um. And also, like, the Rams have one of the best fronts in the entire league. So that was going to be a tough running matchup uh, regardless. But especially without Luan in that game, like, that was that was going to look bad. And it did. And it definitely did. Let me ask yeah. you guys this question as we think about the run game. You are Todd Downing. It is fourth and goal from the one. And you are down by five with one second left and the clock is stopped and you have to run the ball with a running back. Which Titans running back are you giving it to? Because my answer is Deontay Foreman. Oh, I'm, get, I'm giving it to Peterson. Yeah, Peterson. Why? Because he's better at that. I just trust him. He looked okay on the on the third and goal run. He ran the ball yeah. 10 times for 21 yards. No, With I a said long of six, meaning that the other nine carries were for 15. I said on the third and goal, he looked yeah. okay because he just plunged forward, and that's all you need in that yeah. situation. He didn't look good on the other carries, okay. except let's for one. Ch- let's change the situation. It's, it's fourth and four. <laughs> <laughs> that was going exactly going to be the situation. The four, he had him four yards. <laughs> four yards? That's a completely different situation. Four yards, I'm throwing it to eight. I'm just going to say, well, yeah. But you have to run it because I'm Why? making the rules here, just like <laughs> the refs on the Jalen Ramsey thing. Yeah, maybe, I mean, yeah, maybe Foreman because he 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 looked like he had some juice. He just looked more explosive. Uh, like Adrian Peterson yeah. looked slow. Yeah, he did. He looked really rusty. But um, well, I still kind of believe in Peterson going forward. I mean, he 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 ran slow, but also he was slow to process. Like it would take him like a tick too long to pick his hole. He kind of tried to be like. You remember when Le'Veon Bell was in his prime and he'd just stand there and then he'd hit the hole at 110 miles an hour? Like he he, he looked kind of like that, except without you know the prime Le'Veon Bell juice at the end of it. He can't do yeah. that at 36. He, he he's got to go. Also, I don't know if you guys were listening to Collinsworth, like the normal NBC broadcast, uh, but he kept mentioning that it looked like Peterson was running high, like his he really was. Like that's not how he normally runs. So. I, well, I think he's going to get better. I, yeah. I definitely do. Yeah. To me, when when you run high like that, it's because it looks like you're looking for something. So you're either trying to figure out where the linebackers go in or what. Like you don't have a good instinct for, okay, if it's outside zone left, I know that Saffold's going to get up to this guy by my third step or else I need to cut back. Like you just don't have that chemistry with the offensive line yet. Like, you're not sure where your best player is. And then you have Taylor Lewan go out and you have Bobby Hart in the first play of the game. There's Aaron Donald in the backfield and you have to spin off of him before you can even make a read on like your first carry with the Titans. So, 
I, I mean, there there's some issues there, but it, at the end, I guess it doesn't super matter, right? Because they're going to use all three running backs. They're going to use McNichols still in the third down roll. Then they're going to split the carries between uh, Foreman and Peterson. And if they were smart when they had Peterson in, they would go to more gap scheme, like, you know, two on two, like combo blocks. And when they had Foreman, they would do, you know, true outside zone stuff because that's where Foreman is really good. Like Foreman is not somebody who, if it's third and one, you want him running between the guards. He's somebody like the play. He almost cut for a really, really long, like 40 yard gain where he slipped just at the very end. Like that was the, that's where you want him that outside zone where he can cut back across the grain. I think you got nine yards or something on that play, but you know, it like, that's what you want. You know who had the Titans longest run of this game? No. Mac Nichols. Oh, McNichols? McNichols did, yeah. Yeah. I mean he's he's good, right? Like, I mean, we all think that like if we had to pit, if we had to divide thirty touches among running backs, we would want fifteen plus to go to McNichols, right? Like or or at least ten if you're sprinkling in like, you know, five catches, five runs. Like like he, he seems like he does the most. And Part of that probably is because he's been on the team all year and he's practiced all year and he knows the offense, you know, back and forth. Someone else in this offense who scored a rushing touchdown on Sunday night that I want to talk about is Ryan Tannehill. We, historically on the No Nonsense Podcast, have been big supporters of Ryan Tannehill. But coming up, we're going to talk about whether Ryan Tannehill has regressed and whether he's good enough and his current state to get the Titans where they need to be at the end of the season. That's coming up. You're listening to No Nonsense. Back here on the No Nonsense podcast, guys, Ryan Tannehill hadn't been great in 2021. He's had moments. Second half against the Bills, Chiefs game, great. But he's throwing a lot of wacky interceptions where you watch it and you say, huh? Two of them against the Colts, one into his own blitz, one in a triple coverage. First pass of the game was straight to Jalen Ramsey on a quick out. Call it a bad call if you want, but it's up to the quarterback to not go to a quick out against Jalen Ramsey. Like, that should not, that should no longer be the first read on that play if you're Ryan Tannehill. Like, come on, man. And and he's been very shaky. I have, I over the offseason, I called Ryan Tannehill the downfield assassin. If you're new to the No Nonsense podcast, we are not the people sitting around saying, well, he's just the guy that hands off to Derrick Henry. That has not been us. But you cannot deny that this guy has looked worse this year. And look, I'm not Jared Stillman talking about, well, he stinks. And, you know, I'm it's not that, but like what's happening and and is it recoverable? You're right. He has not been as good as previous seasons, um, and he's started making some decisions this season that have been kind of baffling, and you just kind of wonder what he's seeing uh, in the moment. So, yeah, it's a little bit concerning, but I also want to like point out that the offensive line has been either shaky slash not playing well, or they've been dealing with injuries, and that's been happening happening 
pretty much the entire year, and I do think it's having an effect uh, on his performance. Add to that that Todd Downing is coming in with a new offense, and he's also had some growing pains. Like we haven't had, we haven't been too sold on a lot of the things that Downing has done. Um, so I, I think we have to take that into account. But I agree that he's not playing to the level uh, that he's capable of. Um, also the receivers have been injured also that throughout this year, Julio Jones is like in and out of the lineup, uh, every week and, and it's kind of annoying. And then Josh Reynolds comes in, comes out and now he's released. Um, it's, it's like, it's just a lot of moving parts within the offense. And, and I think that is kind of affected Tannehill and he doesn't have the same confidence and the same rhythm that he did, uh, the past two seasons, uh, with the Titans. So I don't know. I, I do think it's recoverable. I just think the offense needs to get into the rhythm. Uh, it seemed like they might be doing it over the past couple of weeks. Like we were getting back to that play action slant over the middle of the field. It was starting to work with AJ Brown. Uh, and then they, they, they didn't really do it in this Rams game for whatever reason. They didn't need it. But I don't know. I just wish the offense would be more consistent and I don't know if we're going we're gonna to be able to see that, especially because Henry's going to be out for the rest of the regular season. Yeah, I don't have any problem with Tannehill. Like, what? I, I, yeah, so like, if you go back and watch the games, uh, they either... You see a lot of interceptions. That's the end of that sentence. Yeah, if you, if, yeah, if you look at the box scores, there's a ton of interceptions. Then you have to remember that three of the first four interceptions were off of the hands of receivers directly up in the air. Then you also have to remember that the offensive line did not start out well. Ten sacks versus the Jets. The five-sack game for Chandler Jones week one. Like, it, they, they started out very poorly. He also had the Julio Jones drop fest in week one. Then the A.J. Brown drop fest in week two. Then he also had uh, A.J. drop two against... Uh, the Rams that were third downs that would have been conversions. I, I mean, it's it's easy to look and say like, well, you know, he's thrown more interceptions this year. Like, you know, and I and I'm not saying that everything he's done is perfect. The, the Jalen Ramsey interception is a clear cut example of you whether that's the first read in the play or not. You have to understand you can't go there, and you have to figure that out before the snap. That's that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is pointing to that Jalen Ramsey interception and saying, look, that's an interception. They're like all these other interceptions. It's like, no, hold on. That is not what happened. You know, th there have been several cases where, you know, the, what was it against the Chiefs wh when he threw the interception over the head of uh, like a tight end screen they were trying to throw and it got picked. Like there have been dumb interceptions, but to look at his stat total and say he's this much worse doesn't really paint the picture, and he also isn't getting 14 games from Corey Davis this year. He's getting, you know, 13 games from Nick Westbrook-Akina. Like, that, they don't have their main offensive weapons in, and there's a good chance that until the postseason, they never have their full starting offensive line and starting complements of weapons. So, I mean, you throw in a new system, your supposed sure-handed guys aren't catching the passes they're supposed to, you know, there's a lot of issues with this team, and if I was ranking, you know, 
I, I say there's a lot of issues with this team. There have been a lot of bumps on the offense, and if I was ranking who to blame for that, Tannehill would not be top ten. You know, I, I you can you can pick at play calling, you can pick at you know critical decisions, you can pick at wide receiver drops, you know, all this other stuff, health availability, all that. At way before you can talk about Tannehill as a whole. <sighs> Matthias? I think Tannehill will be fine. I'm really not. I'm not too worried about him. Like I, I don't see him regressing back to Adam Gase, Miami Dolphins. Oh no, Tannehill. no, no. And will I? I think that some of the the factors you bring up. I'm not going to call them excuses because they're not. They're factors. I think a lot of those hold up. My just my thing is the more I think about this, I think the word to describe Ryan Tannehill in his first two years with the Titans is sharp. He's a sharp quarterback. And he has not been sharp at really any point this year other than one half against the Bills and one against the Chiefs. Yeah, that's fair. But I, I think we also have to take into account that this is not the same offense that we've seen the past couple of years. Like Todd Downing, I don't think is as good of an offensive coordinator yet as Arthur Smith was. Uh, the offensive line hasn't been holding up as well as they have the past couple of seasons. Um, and like I said, AJ Brown and Julio Jones have been kind of in and out of the lineup uh, throughout the year. So there are, yeah, they're not excuses. They're, they are factors that, that have attributed, but I agree he has not been the same type of assassin that we have seen the past couple of years. And also on top of that, like, you know, that he, he definitely has not been as sharp. Like I don't have his yards per attempt or whatever in front of me or anything like that. But I, I do think you're right that there's not that same sense of rhythm when the offense gets out there where it's like, okay, they're going to score a touchdown because they're going to go, you know, that this is just the way they do it. They're going to run outside zone. They're going to kill them. They're going to boot around because it, it feels like each week you get a completely different game plan from Todd Downing. And maybe, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it makes them less predictable. And in the end, it makes them harder to stop. But the inconsistencies and, you know, play action percentages, like, I mean, it, it feels like he doesn't really quite have a handle on what he wants this offense to be. And again, I, I don't, necessarily fault him completely for that because the, he's got to deal with the same factors that Tannehill is dealing with. I will say that the scripted plays that Todd Downing comes up with are pitiful and they've they're been just, good one time and yeah, bad the they rest. Sh- they should punt instead of doing that. They should just punt on first down the first two drives and let Tannehill yeah. tell him what to do after that. That's been a problem. Chiefs game, it was good. Everything else is not. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Let, let, I'm looking at a list of topics that we need to get to. Uh, let's hit this real fast. I, I owe Titans Nation an apology for my Rashawn Evans tweet during the game. That was bad. <laughs> Matthias, you you let me have it earlier for that one where I tweeted haven't no- uh, something like, haven't noticed Rashawn Evans out there. Has anyone seen him? <laughs> I was there on Friday when Mike Vrabel ruled him out and and tweeted that from the A to Z sports account. Mike Vrabel rules out Rashawn Evans and somehow it just it just slipped my mind and I got destroyed for that. It was fun. I had to delete the tweet 
and I didn't delete it for like, you know, oh, I'm embarrassed. I deleted it because I I realized it was incorrect and I didn't want people to like I was getting so many tweets from people like he's inactive. He he's hurt. He like I got it after the third one. I didn't need to keep getting those replies, so I deleted it. But I did put I put a screenshot of it on my Twitter so that you know, if anyone wants to to rag on me, I I can take I can take that on the chin. I just didn't want to keep getting the tweets of people thinking I hadn't figured it out yet. Yeah, the funny part is when I saw that tweet initially, I was like, "Yeah, that's a good point. I haven't seen him out there." Either. <laughs> Because I also, like, I didn't even know he was inactive, to be honest. I knew he had gotten hurt, but I didn't know he was, like, fully inactive. But I'm not covering the team, you know, uh, (laughs) all the time. So I guess it's a little different, but I probably should have known that one, too. Well, while we're on the subject, that defense with those two linebackers, probably, first off, without Rashawn Evans, they played really well. I think they had like three turnovers against um, the Colts week before. And that the, against the Rams was clearly the best performance they've had all year. It, you know, it turns out having two really fast linebackers makes a big difference in this defense. It's, it's crazy when you don't have a linebacker who's <laughs> first of all slow and second of all just hesitates to pull the trigger when he sees something and he has to make a play. Like David Long and Jalen Brown are just – Boom, I see this. I'm going to put my back foot down. Read and react. That's it. And it's it's huge for the defense. And also, the cornerbacks were doing it also. Like Chris Jackson, even Janoris Jenkins, like when they had to go make a tackle on a shorter uh, reception, they would do it. It's That was that was good to see. That's the type of defense uh, that wins you football games and something that we haven't seen uh, the past two seasons. Yeah, and I think they're confident that if they can just take away the first three seconds of a play, that the safeties will be in position to stop any like big, you know, explosive play, and then the front four will get pressure and get to the quarterback quick enough to where you don't really have to worry about that. So you can be more read and react in those kind of situations. Which I mean, it's that's that's when defense is fun. When when guys are just standing there thinking they're either going to get beat or they're going to be slow to the ball. So it's just it's. Oh, man. Thank goodness for that front four. That front four, which, you know, they're winning their individual matchups. Jeffrey Simmons is playing insanely well, as is Denico Autry, as is Harold Landry. Bud Dupree's coming along. He makes an impact from time to time, and I think he'll he'll get to where people want him to be eventually. But we would be remiss to talk about this front four without mentioning Shane Bowen. And we talked about it a little bit last week with with Tyler Rowland about how it is not only that they are winning their individual matchups, because they are, but Bowen is doing a terrific job of putting them in positions to succeed and not just saying, all right, Harold, you're going to be at left tackle and and Bud Dupree, you're going to be at right tackle and Jeffrey Jeffrey, one technique and entree three technique. All right, break. Like it, there's a lot of uh, deception, a lot of stunting that is going on with that group, and it's all working. And and Bowen is is done masterfully. I think. I mean, guys are taking notice. Before we started recording, I saw Ian Rappaport tweeting about how Shane Bowen needs more attention. It's crazy. It's almost like uh, 
as we've been saying last year, Shane Bowen wasn't really the defensive <laughs> coordinator. We've, we um, were bamboozled last year. Yeah. And it's pretty apparent. And yes, they have added players. The personnel is definitely different. Oh, yeah. Um, but I mean, it's just clear. It's clear as day that Shane Bowen's doing things differently than was allowed of him or was being done by Mike Vrabel last year, which clearly did not work. Um, and yeah, the biggest difference has been the pass rush. Like, having a good pass rush in the NFL is is crucial. It's how teams make it to the Super Bowl. Um, and the Titans just have not had that over the past couple of years. Like, they haven't been able to get enough pressure on quarterbacks. Um, and it's annoying. It's very annoying to watch that because it hangs your defensive backs out to dry. It hangs your linebackers in coverage out to dry. Uh, and it ends up just being so easy for quarterbacks to find open receivers. Um, and that's just not happening. And in this game, it didn't happen at all. And we saw the effect that it had. I mean, the Rams, they, they scored nine points. Like, sure, they scored a touchdown at the end. But it was like with 20 or 30 seconds left in the game. Like, it was just a garbage time thing. They held the Rams, who were averaging, was it like 30 points a game, to nine points. Like, that's crazy. And they did that without Christian Fulton, with Chris Jackson playing a lot. Um, I think even Chris Jones was playing a lot. Like, guys that really shouldn't be making <laughs> this much of an impact, uh, and they are. And, and I do think that's a very big testament to, to Shane Bowen and possibly even Jim Schwartz, who I feel like is making an impact as well uh, on the philosophy of the defense. Yeah, I, I mean... Like we we were all wrong on Shane Bowen, and you know again some of that's on us, but it's in large part to Mike Frable for pretending like it didn't matter who's the defensive coordinator, and then it turns out he was like, well Shane's a defensive coordinator, and then he goes out there and like the defense looks like this, and then Mike Frable's getting all the credit in the world, which seems asinine to me, but you know whatever. The I mean the good thing is you could make an argument for three different players to end the season with 10 sacks. I mean, Landry's already got nine. So, I mean, it's Simmons has five and a half and Autry has five and Autry didn't even really start until the Seattle game. Maybe. Well, so that was week two. Oh, sorry. I'm at the uh, Colts game, but cause I think he played and then I think he started in that game and that was the whole like, Oh, thanks. I think uh, whatever. I think they call him. Doesn't matter. Uh, but, he either started week three or he was rotating, whatever. But since he's been in heavily, he's been a huge factor. So, yeah, and a lot of that is because, like you've talked about, the, I mean, you could, I, I could easily see Bud Dupree having three sacks in the next game. You know, this is the type of performance I could see any team getting, you know, any player on that front four getting, you know, a three sack, two sack game because the way, the best way I can describe it is, you know, if you look at the offensive line and you look at where they are to where the quarterback's back foot is and you divide that into fourths, it seems like at some point one of those defensive linemen are going to enter one of those fourths. So if it's Bud Dupree takes the very back and gets deep as the deepest, he is all the way at the back. If the quarterback steps up, the next guy he's going to step into is Harold Landry coming right behind that. 
then if he steps up again or if he never gets that deep in the pocket, it seems like Autry is going to be right there. And then if he's not that and he's towards the front of the pocket, it seems like Simmons is going to be there. And I wish I could draw that out for you because it seems like their goal is to stunt around, beat their man, and get that depth. And it's almost like a vice grip when you watch it because after about two seconds, if there's not somebody already at the quarterback, you can see them start to attack those levels. And it's, I mean, it's really fun to watch. It's like the offensive lineman isn't even there. It's like they're holding like practice dummies most times. And it's crazy. It's a testament to how well this group is working together, how well they know their assignments, how well they know how to feed off of each other and loop and stunt and do all that. So, I, I mean, that is all on Shane Bowen and all on this front four and all on uh, T- Terrell Williams' his name, I believe, the defensive line coach. I always praise him, and then I always forget his name as soon as yes, I'm about to say it. That's correct. Um, yeah, he should get a defensive coordinator job somewhere. Like he, I mean, the work he's done. I mean, you look at Naquan Jones this year, who's looking good. You look at Tier Tart, who's an undrafted free agent, who's a starter now. Like he takes guys and puts them in position to succeed. Like Ola Daney. Like I, I know that technically he's a linebacker and he works with that, but that group works with him really well. Like uh, they seem to understand their assignments within each other. So it's, I mean credit that group a lot and Schwartz for whatever he's contributed to like they, they've done a great job something else I think Bowen deserves credit for is last year Kevin Byard looked a step behind constantly and now he's playing the best football of his career a career in which he's been an all pro before he he I mean I'm, I'm biased but he should be the defensive player of the year like I don't I don't know who else is as deserving as as he is. He's probably not going to get it just because he plays on tight ends. Maybe Trayvon Diggs. Diggs has seven. Miles Garrett. Okay. First of all, Trayvon Diggs is not that good. He just has all of the interceptions. (laughs) Dude, I'm not. No, I'm not. not (laughs) He actually gets interceptions and and he makes plays. But teams target him, like, very consistently, and they make plays on him. Like, I don't know if you guys saw the Cowboys-Broncos games. Why Why would you? But he was getting toasted by Tim Patrick. Like, anyway, that was, like, a little uh, a little tangent. But I feel like Bayard is the, the best defensive player. And I saw TJ Watt last night. Yeah, he got some sacks, but a lot of his sacks just come from cleaning up, honestly. So, I don't know, man. Like, I think he deserves it at this moment in time. I don't know if he's going to get it, but he is very clearly the best defensive back uh, probably in the NFL right now. Maybe Jalen Ramsey, uh, but definitely the best safety playing right now. Getting so, an interception on Sunday Night Football is going to help his case. Uh, getting that pick six, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's massive. I mean, he's on pace for nine and a half interceptions, so basically ten. I mean, you can't get half an interception. And he's already got 11 pass breakups, which his career high is 16, and we're halfway through the season. So if he just plays at this pace and he gets 22 pass breakups, 10 interceptions, he has a pick six on Sunday Night Football, and the Titans are 13 and four. I, I mean, you got to remember, it's all about your narrative. And if the narrative is the defense really had to step up when Derrick Henry went out and he has the best stat line of the group, then he's going to get a ton of credit so i mean he might get it but i mean i i do think there's an uphill battle with miles garrett and trayvon diggs but he's only two behind diggs right now so i've pulled up DraftKings sportsbook odds for 
Defensive Player of the Year. Where do you think Bayard ranks? Eight. Probably like sixth. You're both actually underselling. He is fifth oh, on DraftKings Sportsbook behind Garrett, Watt, Aaron Donald, and Trayvon Diggs. Wow. Aaron Watt. Donald, really? J.J. Watt's half of the year. Aaron Donald's got over twice oh, better TJ odds. Oh, T.J. Watt. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Aaron Donald's got over twice better odds than Byard does. He has... Miles Garrett is num- Miles Garrett is number one at plus three hundred, and then at and then Donald is plus seven fifty. Byard is plus eighteen hundred. Is Garrett having that good of a year? Is it because of that Bears yeah. game? No, Garrett, like Garrett's, Garrett's having, I think he's got twelve and a half sacks or something. Good God, he's on pace for like twenty five. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I mean. Donald's Donald's awesome. I'm not saying Donald is. I mean, he very clearly is the best defensive player and in football. Kevin Kevin Byer has never committed a felony on a football field. That's true. Like Miles Garrett, I thought we were talking about Aaron Donald. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like I mean, Aaron Donald is maybe the best defensive player in the history of you know the NFL. We'll talk about that when his career's done or whatever. But this is, I mean. He suffers from the fact that he has to compare himself to himself. And, I mean, this is not his best season. It's not his second, not yeah. his third. It's probably, I mean, it's probably like his fifth best season. So it's kind of like the LeBron James thing where if, you, if, if you've got a chance to give it to somebody else, I wonder if they give it to somebody else. And, yeah, I mean, it may be Garrett. We'll see. But it it would be nice for Bayard to get it since he should have gotten it four years ago or whatever, three years ago. So, I want to talk about Mike Vrabel. Not as coach of the year. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that later, and I Will's got we something, a, in, Will's got something in store for us. section for yeah. that. <laughs> but, I want to talk about a potential strength of Mike Vrabel. And, uh, uh, hold on, I just got distracted because Joe Rexroad is tweeting at me about the Titans releasing Matt Barkley. Um. They didn't. What? They didn't release Matt Barkley. Better he sorry, he was side. signed by the Panthers. Yeah. Have to have to respond to that. I, if if you're new to the, this, I I was getting destroyed over the off season about liking Matt Barkley more than Logan Woodside. You should tweet that he's probably their you're, best. You're not alone. <laughs> he no, he like actually is Yo, the Panthers' yeah. best quarterback. Yeah, it's like Sam Darnold is on that team. <laughs> like anything is possible. Anyway, now that we're back to uh, reality, our good friend Mike Herndon, who we haven't had on here in a while, we should probably get him back on here, tweeted this about Titans head coach Mike Vrabel. So Ian Rappaport brought up that uh, Shane Bowen sort of getting overlooked. And Mike said this Matt LaFleur is 33 and 8 as Green Bay's head coach. Best record ever in a first 41 game span for a head coach. Arthur Smith has the Falcons at 4-4, four and four, would be in a playoff spot if the season ended today. Vrabel has an impeccable eye for coaching talent and picking assistants. And people should be lining up down the street for openings on Vrabel's staff when they become available. What do we think about that? It's really easy to coach great players. Because uh, John Robinson's doing such a good job of that. No, I'm, I'm kidding. No, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. <laughs> I know he's kidding because we just talked about like four guys that he added. 
yeah. <laughs> on the roster and how great they were. Um, I I do think he has a very good eye for coaching talent. I, I wasn't thrilled with his coaching hires uh, this past offseason, even though like he hired within. Um, but the Shane Bowen one seems to be working out, so we might have been wrong about that, and Rabel might have been right. Todd Downing, the jury is still kind of out. Um, I think Downing's yeah. been fine. He hadn't been necessarily good, yeah. but he hadn't been bad. Not He's a disaster. Been- yeah, it hasn't been a disaster. But, um, I mean, definitely we going with Matt LaFleur to start as offensive coordinator uh, to start the Rabel tenure. Even though it didn't really work out in Tennessee all that well, I mean, he's turned into a fantastic head coach. Uh, and I think even if he would have been given one more season with Tennessee, he really would have gotten that offense going. Uh, and then the Once hiring of Tannehill stepped in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then... Yeah, exactly. Uh, once Tannehill came in, Arthur Smith really took off, and that turned into one of the better uh, hires that the Titans have really had in, in a while. So I definitely do think that he does have an eye for coaching talent. I think his biggest problem is getting out of his own way, like making himself the defensive coordinator last year. Like That seemed like a bit of a power move and a little narcissistic, maybe. Maybe he... It seemed like he uh, outkicked his coverage there, but um, he definitely sees sees talent, and, and you can see it with a lot of the uh, defensive coaches. Also, like we talked about, Terrell Williams, uh, Kenechi Udeze is also his assistant defensive line coach, bringing in Jim Schwartz. Um, yeah, like I, I think he definitely does have uh, a good eye for that. Um, I've got a couple of thoughts. First of all, beyond the guys with the big names, the coordinators, and those who have gone on to be head coaches, I think Mike Vrabel's position coaches have been very good. Uh, Keith Carter, who we panned at one point, has done a good job of developing some talent, like uh, Nate Davis in, in bringing guys like Kendall Lamb and Ty Sambrilo into positions where they can start and be okay. David Quesenberry, I think, is another tribute to him. Rob Moore has done a great job developing the Titans wide receivers. Uh, And I think you can go down the list and look at a lot of guys. We were just talking about Williams, the defensive line coach. There's a lot of those position coaches that have made their guys better consistently. I think that's a tribute to Vrabel. At the same time, though, I'm not willing to ignore the boys club trap that he has fallen into. Right, Will? Well, especially with the guys who he actually was involved in hiring. Like, LaFleur was coming either way. He he interviewed for the head coaching job. That's not a Mike Vrabel, I'm going to bring that guy in. That's a, you know, you bring him in and he wants to jump ship anyway, and the best combination is you get Mike Vrabel as your head coach and LaFleur as your offensive coordinator. Like, that, that was the deal the whole time. So that's a little bit of revisionist history. And then Arthur Smith was with the Titans for – you know, four different head coaches, you know, the, these are not guys he's handpicked and found and, you know, groomed himself. These are made products that he's brought in and at their best, he's been as far away as possible. Uh, but, you know, having said that, like, I think less Vrabel is always more. <laughs> and I think that he did identify Shane Bowen, uh, and he brought him over from Houston with him, and he looks like a good hire. Bowen was so, an Ohio State guy. He and Bowen oh, go way back. Was, 
Yeah. Oh, oh, you mean he goes back beyond uh, Houston? Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. So that's that's a plus. He brought in Kerry Coombs. That's a plus. All the all the position coaches you said other. You know, we didn't talk about Haslett, but you know, all, all the <laughs> position coaches that he brought in for the most part seem to do a you know a good job, and I don't have any problem with that. If if you know. Like my life, t- like tends to happen in my life with Lafleur getting a head coaching job. If for some reason Shane Bowen gets a head coaching job this year, uh, again, which I don't think will happen, and he promotes Terrell Williams, great. Like I think, I think that is working your way up the ranks and producing higher than you know, out producing what you've been given and develop. I, I think that works good. But you are right. Like there is a long list of. Oh, isn't it weird that Mike Vrabel has worked with this guy or coached with this guy or played with this guy in the past and now he's on the Titans roster? That's crazy. And then it's like an 85% overlap with all the coaches. <laughs> so, like that's fishy and weird and it seems like he's creating sort of an echo chamber, but you know, I, Todd Downing didn't come from his own background. He was brought in to be the tight ends coach after Arthur Smith got promoted, so you know, maybe as we go forward and he realizes that Well, he's gonna run out of boys in the in the club eventually. Well yeah, I mean you you would think I mean he's already hiring people who don't deserve their jobs necessarily um to, to be on the on the coaching staff, but you know, hopefully that stops and he, you know, goes for quality over familiarity. But, you know, ha- having said all that, I, I shouldn't be so negative when the team is doing so well. Like there are several coaches that are doing a very good job, both as you know, and we've talked about how Todd Downing, once he gets past those scripted plays, he's much better in game in game adjusting, and you know, once he gets feedback and figures out what the team the other team's doing, like you know, he deserves his credit there, and maybe he'll get better at that. But yeah, like I do think there is something to be said for a head coach who basically produces other head coaches. Like that's where smart offensive and defensive minds should gravitate towards. Uh, now now you just have to worry about, does somebody from Boston College who coached his son come available? And he's like, I've heard great things. Because that's kind of what happened with their strength and conditioning program. And, I, you know, you can say whatever you want. There's a lot of soft tissue injuries, and there have been a lot of soft tissue injuries since uh, they changed from Watterson a few years ago to the guy who was – you know, at Boston College when Tyler Vrabel got there and all that, which I don't Frank know. Frank Piriani, the most frightening yeah, I, man on planet Earth. But yeah, especially to everybody's hamstrings. But you know, I, like <laughs> I like I that that concerns me. But you know, we'll we'll see. I'm not going to make up problems, you know, before they arise. But hopefully, he's learned from all that and he can keep hiring good coordinators and coaches. We're going to take a break. When we come back. We're going to talk about the New Orleans Saints, and we'll do Stop the Nonsense. You're listening to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Welcome back in to No Nonsense. As we shift gears now to look ahead to the Titans' upcoming game against the New Orleans Saints, they're first home game in a few weeks. Uh, the New Orleans Saints, I think, for me anyway, have been a bit of a surprise this year because with Drew Brees gone, 
and Jameis Winston, of all people, stepping in for him. I didn't expect a whole lot out of these guys. And before losing to the Falcons on Thursday, the Saints were five, or on Sunday, excuse me, the, the Saints were five and two. They're now five and three coming in to face the Titans. Um, and they're playing well, even with Trevor Simeon now, following Jameis Winston's injury. So I think we've learned a couple of things this season. First of all, that Sean Payton is probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. I think this is great for his resume for that. Um, but also, you know, they're playing very good defense. Uh, this is uh, a, a defense that is playing uh, well. They are first in rushing yards per game in the in the D, in the NFL. Uh, they're they're twelfth in yards per game. They're sort of middle of the pack. You know, as I'm looking at these rankings, they're sort of in the middle of everything, except for run defense, where they're the best. That can kind of be a a, a good thing to just kind of be in the middle of the pack. You can win a lot of games that way. What do we think, I guess, are going to be the biggest challenges for this team, and how surprised are you with the way that they're playing this year? I'm not really surprised just because they've had a good defense for a long time. Dennis Allen has been one of the better defensive coordinators in the league. Um, So I knew the defense would be good. The offense has been pretty hit or miss. Uh, while Jameis was in there, he had a couple of big blow-up games uh, where he looked solid, he looked sharp. Um, but then, you know, they had games where they really could move the ball. Um, but now with Jameis out, like, I don't know, I think they're going to struggle to move the ball. They really couldn't do it against the Falcons until uh, the fourth quarter. This one, they sco- scored almost all of their points. A lot of it came in garbage time as they were chasing uh, the Falcons' um, the Falcons' lead. And... Um, I don't know. I, I don't even know if Trevor Simeon's going to start this game, to be honest. Like, I could definitely see them going to Taysom Hill either as the starter going in or even making a mid-game switch to, to Taysom Hill because we know how much they love him. Uh, but he had just come off an injury before last week. Uh, I think he had a concussion, and it took him a couple of weeks uh, to get over that. We know they paid him. We know Sean Payton loves to use him, at least in sub-packages. But we've seen them use him uh as a starter they did it last year when drew Brees got injured um and teddy bridgewater wasn't on the team right i can't even remember but Taysom definitely started uh, a game or two no uh, teddy bridgewater he, was a panther okay yeah you're right you're right you're right so Taysom definitely started a couple of games last year he wasn't awful but you know he's very limited as an actual passer but he presents a lot of problems with the read option uh, he's like a really big guy. He's pretty quick also. Uh, and if Kamara is healthy, which we don't know for sure he will be going into this game, I could definitely see Sean Payton bringing out some sort of read option offense with Taysom Hill and, and Kamara. Uh, and now Mark Ingram, who just got there a couple weeks ago. Uh, I could see them trying to keep it on the ground because without Michael Thomas, they just do not have receivers that are really going to threaten you. Mar- Marquez Callaway is is good. Um, Tennessee Volunteers fans know, know a little bit about him. Uh, he's a solid athletic player. Uh, Deontay Harris is really quick, but he's very raw as a receiver. Traquan Smith really has not put it together. And then at tight end, they have, you know, Adam Troutman. He's really just a guy. So I don't know, like they, they don't have threatening pieces on offense. So it doesn't scare me that much. 
and I think if the Titans could just move the ball a little bit, which the Falcons did, like Matt Ryan, who has not looked good at all this year, he had 343 passing yards against the Saints defense last year, and that was at home, I believe, uh, in the Superdome. So if the Titans could move the ball, like I think they should be able to keep the Saints offense and check it and win this game. Yeah, I think part of the reason why they're so good in rush defense is just because uh, DeMario Davis and because it's so easy to pass on them. Like, what was it? Uh, Daniel Jones had like 400 yards passing against them or something crazy. Like, because they, they ended up losing to the Giants 27 to 21. I, I mean, they, like, they're a good team. I think they are not the not the Saints team we're familiar with, obviously. I think they're more defensive heavy. Like I mean, Cam Jordan's always been awesome to watch. You know, Marcus Davenport, like you talked about, is coming through. Demario Davis. Like, I mean, they you know, they've got plenty of players on defense who are noteworthy. Offense is just weird though. Like it's it's Kamara and then it's a whole bunch of other people. Like you know, I love Marquez Callaway, but it seems like his role is, you know, you're a deep ball target. And then, you know, if you don't catch it, that's fine. If you do great, it's going to be a big play like it, but it doesn't seem like he's a consistent factor. He's sort of like a uh, Will Fuller, like, I mean, a much less successful Will Fuller where it's like, if he gets hit, feels like it's going to work. It's going to move the chain. It's going to be a big, you know, explosive play. Otherwise you don't really have to worry about him that much. And since Tyler Lockett, it feels like that the Titans haven't struggled with that very much. I I don't know. I'm I'm very interested to see how they match up because this is you know the Saints lost to the Falcons, but they're not a bad team. I mean, you know they're five and two and lost to a division rival. Like that's that's fine. That's something good teams do all the time. So uh, I mean, it's an uncommon opponent. They they scare me just from a like Titans fan standpoint, like I, I can see this being like the wrong time to let off the gas a little bit. But at the same time, I think the Titans are still so involved in trying to recreate that their identity or figure out what they're going to be uh, while Henry's not in that they don't have enough time to just say, we'll just keep doing what's working because they didn't do well enough on offense last week. So uh, it, it's it's a very weird game to me. The Saints are a weird team. Yeah. I mean, they killed Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, like absolutely shut them out and then get torched by Daniel Jones. Like that, like, I mean, the Titans do weird stuff all the time too, like losing to uh, the Jets and then, you know, winning five in a row or whatever. But at the same time, like we expect the Titans to do that to a certain extent. Like there doesn't seem to be a ton of consistency with the Saints. No, I mean, they beat the Buccaneers two weeks ago, uh, and then they lose to the Falcons. Like, they are really inconsistent, and we really don't know what we're going to get out of them, especially now with Jameis Hurt um, and with Simeon likely being the starter, but also maybe Taysom Hill sprinkling in or even taking most of the reps. Like, they're kind of a wild card, and we're not sure what we're going to get. I just hope that the Titans at least come into this game focused um, and just worry about what they can control um, and know that they're a better team. They've beaten 
they've beaten more better teams and they should be able to to come away with a win but you know like we've said anything is possible uh in the regular season so we don't know all right time for stop the nonsense who would like to begin I'll start since mine's sort of a mixture of last week and also uh, this week. So, if you if you're aware, last week I said after you know we got done talking and we were kind of wrapping up the show that my pre uh, stop the nonsense hot take was that it seemed like what was going to happen this week if if the past was any indication is that the Titans were going to win in a convincing manner, and then almost immediately there would be people calling for Mike Vrabel to be the coach of the year because of all he's done and all that. And it angers me to my core, but it is exactly what's happened. You know, you've seen, I'm sure Ian Rappaport has got a direct line into Nashville, so I'm sure he said it, but several people have come out and said, you know, we have to take notice of the Tennessee Titans and what they've done without Derrick Henry. And, you know, people need to talk about Mo- Mike Vrabel as coach of the year. Blah, blah, and it drives me crazy because I truly think the biggest contribution he's made to the team this year is by stepping away from the defense. Like his ad- addition is addition by subtraction. And, you know, I-, I think there's something to be said about his presence in the locker room and veterans respecting him and all that. But it's so weird to me that that's his M.O. and they still lose to teams they should beat all the time. It It, it is incredibly frustrating because I don't think he's the best coach in the NFL. But I do think there may be a chance that he is somehow the best motivator and manager and underdog in the NFL. And we just might be at a point where because... You can't explain away the Titan success as just having one great running back that people are going to scramble for storylines. And in my head, they're either going to gravitate towards Kevin Byard as Defensive Player of the Year or Mike Vrabel as Coach of the Year. And the second one really makes me nervous because I don't want him to have any more power and start to think that he can step in and do more things better. That that freaks me out. Uh, Yeah. I mean, Vrabel's a great motivator. I will give you that one. Except for when they're playing against a <laughs> bad team. I, I think then he's he a good not motivate the team. I think he's a good organizer. You know what I mean by that? Yes. Yeah. Now, back to DraftKings Sportsbook. Where do you think Mike Vrabel ranks in coach of the year? Three. I was gonna say three, yeah. He is tied for second. Uh, what's What's happening? Who? So he and the person he is tied with are behind Cliff Kingsbury, who is the front runner. And then it is Vrabel and the man who coaches in the same stadium that the Titans won in Sunday night, Brandon Staley. Really? They're five and three now. Are they any better than they were last year? Yeah. That's slightly. I mean, they almost lost to the Eagles, but I mean... The odds are the odds. Like I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Yes. I don't need to defend this any harder. Cliff Kingsbury go up the rankings. Kingsbury's at plus four fifty, and then Staley and Vrabel are both at plus seven fifty. Okay. That's too rich for my blood. <laughs> I think Kingsbury's going to win it. Honestly, the Cardinals look fantastic. 
Where's LaFleur? Matt LaFleur. Sorry, I just hit the microphone. Matt LaFleur is pretty far down the list, actually. He is... Uh, He's like 12th or tied for 10th, maybe. He has this just beat the Cardinals. Matt LaFleur has the same odds as Vic Fangio. (laughs) I guess guess losing. Well, that's crazy. Uh, I guess losing without Aaron Rodgers really showed everybody that he's just kind of. Why is Vic Fangio that high up? They started like four and zero, didn't they? Or three and zero, or whatever. It was. And then they beat the Cowboys. But then everybody's just like, ignore this middle part where everybody screamed for this guy to be fired. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll go next uh, for my stop the nonsense. Um, this was sent to us by Eldon English, friend of the pod. Uh, so Justin Graber uh, had tweeted something about the Titans going four and zero against the Bills, Chiefs, Colts, and Rams saying they're the best team in football. Uh, and this game, this guy named Blue Lou at photo underscore VAC, uh, pro- I don't know why I gave out his full information, but I guess he deserves it, uh, tweeted this. He's a Rams fan, apparently. Uh, unfortunately, lives in South Florida, so sorry about that, guys. That's my fault. He tweets, he quote tweets it, and he says, and lost to the New York Jets. Ah, but that's when the NFL officiating crew was helping out as they did tonight and so often. I think he meant when the officials weren't helping out like they did tonight and so often. Maybe the NFL commission and the NFL sees the Titans as the new Patriots since their old coach, the fair-haired Mike Fair-haired Mike Brabel was Belichick's right-hand man. Uh, This is an elite, elite tweet. Uh, just pure crying after a loss. Um, and, and just makes no sense, really, because the Titans have been absolutely screwed by the refs this entire season. I don't think we've gotten very many favorable calls. We always get the absolute worst spots. Uh, the, the, mm-hmm. the other team always gets the most generous spots. It's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, and even in this game, this Rams game, Jalen Ramsey should have been ejected because he had two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, but in the middle of no, after the second one, uh, the referee just just so happened to change the first one to a personal foul, even though in the stats and in the play-by-play it said unsportsmanlike conduct for the first one. Uh, so yeah, that was actually that was actually the refs helping out the Rams, but not according to this guy who believes the Titans uh, are the new Patriots in terms of getting. All the calls uh, from the NFL referees. It's crazy. Like, we're, what, a, a one game removed from Jeffrey Simmons, like, illegally hitting somebody during the whistle and it getting a personal foul. And then, you know, the Carson Wentz effect where you get defensive pass interference because you're within five yards of a wide receiver. Like, and I, I mean, it's ignorant just in general, but it's so aggravating because one Vrabel has never been on a staff with Belichick. They've never been, you know, they have no coaching relationship. He was on a team. Uh, they would coach by him for a while and then he got traded away. It, like that's insane. And he's also not fair haired. Like you don't even have to bring those words up. Like that's so weird. Here's mine. 
I sent this tweet to you guys during the uh, Sunday night football game. Aditi Kinkabwala, national reporter for NFL Network. She, I believe her home base is Pittsburgh, but she goes around and, and sort of hits various markets. She was here a time or two last year, I believe. Uh, really strange tweet. She said, now, I suppose it ended up being right because the Browns won. It's, she said this. I don't know if this means anything, but Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield looked as purposeful as I've ever seen him walking into a stadium. Let's not forget what as, what happened as soon as he lost Odell Beckham in Cincinnati last year. 21 straight completions. Okay. couple things to point out. Losing Odell Beckham to injury and then responding with 21 straight completions is not akin to losing him because he hissy-fitted his way out and he was a locker room cancer and had to be purged. And like, I don't think there's a parallel in comparing the two. Granted, they did play well. But I want to focus on the first part of that tweet. He looked purposeful. Yeah. Uh, I feel like Colin Cowherd. <laughs> with with these pregnant pauses I'm taking. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that matters. <laughs> Last time I checked, uh, bat MGM. I'm, I'm just devolving into a cowherd impression at this <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I got it. <laughs> but, I, I just really but, hate it in my bones. <laughs> but who cares? If, like, purposeful? First of all, what does that mean? And second of all, like, like I'm going to do that on Sunday. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, you know, right. Ryan Tannehill looked as purposeful as I've ever seen him running out of the tunnel. Look for this Titans offense to rebound after their bad performance against the Rams. Yeah, I mean... You know know the last time Tannehill threw an interception, he came back out the next day and then (laughs) threw another interception. So the purposefulness (laughs) was huge. It's like, what does that even, like, what does purposeful even mean? I was just about to get on Webster's and see. Purposeful. She meant like focused, maybe? Purposeful, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, having determination. That doesn't clear anything up. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, like, sure, I guess, like, but like the context is weird to me, right? Like it's like when I saw him, what'd she say? Walking in or, or whatever, like how looked, do you see so him purposefully as like, purposeful walking into the stadium? Not e- so not even during yeah. warmups, like yeah. walking from yeah. his car into the stadium. Cause they were at home. So he would have driven himself walking from yeah. his car it's like, he into very, the stadium. Meticulously, just like making sure that he closes the door correctly and everything. Like wo- it's, wo- it's a we- like he woke up feeling dangerous. And like to uh, add to like, the, to add to the cowherd effect, you know, he's a big anti Baker guy. So that that just makes this all the is, more better. That is true. I'm sure he hated seeing this. I haven't watched a lot of cowherd lately. I need to. Good for in. you. Not watch it because it's <laughs> garbage trash that doesn't need to exist. I used to be a huge Cowherd guy. I haven't just I just haven't watched as much in the last couple of years. I used to love Cowherd though, and I still find him like hilarious. He used to be good at his job. Then his job <laughs> changed to like trying to be Skip Bayless on a discount. I'm watching him as soon as we get off of this. 
<laughs> in fact, I hate it. I'm going to wrap us up right now so I can get to watching some Colin Cowherd on YouTube. No free shout outs. All right. That's going to do it for us. Until next time, for Will and Matias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.